Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you if you take God's word with you this morning and open it with me to the gospel of Mark, to Mark chapter 10 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. If you have been at Crosslink in recent days, and then of course we'll be hopefully in the coming weeks, you know that this month of June is a very exciting season full of activity and lots of things going on. Last Sunday, we came together here in this place where we had family dedication as many parents were recognizing the gift that God has given and giving them a child, and they were committing to raise those children for the Lord Jesus Christ. Next Sunday is Father's Day, so please remember your dads, if you've not gone and gotten a card or written a card, this would be a good time to be reminded to set the calendar to do so. And then the following Sunday, we have Vacation Bible School. Lots of things taking place here in the month of June regarding children and regarding families. In the midst of all that happening in ministry, this has also been a unique season of life in my life personally. Personally, already here in the month of June, my oldest son has now officially graduated high school. So I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I have no idea how he did it, but thank God he did somehow by the hair of his chinny chin chin. But nonetheless, he graduated, which is a really exciting thing. In the midst of that, also in my family, my daughter, my oldest daughter, has now turned 16, which means she is driving. Please, please, please pray for me, and I sure will pray for you, okay? So she's now 16. My son Manny has now graduated middle school, and he starts high school in the fall. That is crazy. And my youngest child, she has now moved from the lower school at her school to now she's going to the upper school in the fall. And I'm thinking through all these different things, and all of this means one primary thing. It means I'm getting old. That's exactly what it means, all right? Now, it means in recent weeks, I've been thinking a whole lot about children and about the precious gift of childhood and about how fast it passes. And in that speed of how quickly it takes place, I was just talking with, with one of my brother-in-laws yesterday, and he's, he has two little ones that are really young, between two and four years old, and he was asking him about the timing of it all, and I remember just saying to him out loud, like, man, once I hit high school, you snap and you blink, and it's, oh, it is so, so very fast. And it's one thing as a parent to acknowledge, man, this comes and it goes so quickly, but I believe as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something about the fleeting nature of that. There's something about the precious nature of that childhood. There's something about the urgency of that that you call us to have a burden and a conviction about how purposely we live our life for the glory of God and for the good of others, especially regarding children. There are many people today in our culture who perhaps view children as, as a burden. After all, they have a lot of needs. Maybe we view them as a, as a nuisance or an annoyance or a burden that frankly it just kind of inconveniences us along the way. We live in a fallen world where evil is real and as a result of that, there are some who very selfishly and sinfully and I would even say wickedly exploit children and look at them for their own purposes. But God shows us in his word that every child is a gift from him. He has a plan and a purpose for every child. And I believe what God is showing us through this brief sermon series, he's showing us how he views children. 
And if we will have a glimpse of how he views children and his perspective will become our perspective, it will radically impact the way we love them, the way we care for them, the way that we train them, and ultimately the way that we lead them for the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I wanna preach to you on the subject in our sermon series, Instructions Included. I wanna preach you on the subject, leading children to the Lord. Leading children to the Lord. Now, now this series, Instructions Included, is coming basically from the premise that there are many people who will look at situations with children and we will grieve the fact that they did not come with an instruction manual. How many times, no doubt, have you as a parent been in the situation where you're looking at the situation and you're wondering like, I have no idea what to do with this. You're kind of sitting in a moment like, why didn't I think of this? Why wasn't I prepared for this? There's a million situations that will come up as a parent that you realize there's not clear instructions for. But as a follower of Jesus, while we may not have instructions for every simple little little detail, God does give us the overall direction. He does give us the blueprint, so to speak, on how to raise children, how to influence children for his glory and purposes. Last week, we saw the importance of dedicating children to the Lord. Today, we see the importance of leading those children to the Lord. Now, before you check out today, someone say, well, wait a second, pastor, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have children of my own, so how does this impact me? But hang on, there's things here that I think God wants you to see. Or maybe you're a grandparent, you say, Pastor, I've already raised mine. Mine are already out of the house. They're already doing their own thing. I've already done my responsibility. But I believe what God begins to show us in the context of this scripture is this. Every follower of Jesus has a calling and a responsibility directly from God and how we influence and lead the next generation behind us. Physically, if you're able, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as we study this topic of leading children to the Lord, four simple verses in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, and they, everybody say they. They They were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. Listen to this statement. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them laying his hands on them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for this powerful but simple illustration of your care for children and of our calling to follow your example. Help us, Lord, to love you well and serve you well and to lead them in a way that brings glory and honor to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Leading children to the Lord. The reality is that many of us here today who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, whether we have children in the home or not, we understand the value of a child. The Bible says every child is a gift from him, that every child is fearfully and wonderfully made. We might also even agree that in that context, we have a certain calling from God and responsibility to point children towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, in our culture, so often we struggle with effectively doing that. 
So often in the context of our culture, we live busy lives. There's lots of things going on. There's lots of distractions. And it's very easy for us along the way to say, well, listen, I I know that this is important. I just don't have time. I know that this is important. I just can't be that faithful. I know this is important. I just can't make that commitment. But I believe from the very beginning of this pastor scripture, when we study the context, we find in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus understood that. In Mark chapter 10, God gives us a glimpse of the high demand nature of Jesus's life and ministry. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus's ministry is in full force. And in Mark chapter 10, we're kind of given a glimpse of all these kinds of situations that Jesus, uh, that were being pressed upon him. We often think we've got a lot going on, but think about what was going on in Jesus's life in this moment, for example. In Mark chapter 10, we discover that the Pharisees, once again, have come to Jesus to trap him with a question specifically about divorce. And there in that basis, Jesus begins to give them a teaching about marriage and divorce and to correct them where they were wrong. Then after that, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10 that there was a man known as the rich young ruler. He was a man who had everything that the world had to offer, but he didn't have peace in his soul and he didn't have salvation. And so he came to Jesus with a question that he couldn't answer, something that he was wrestling with. And Jesus took time to address him and to teach him. Then after that, the Bible tells us that Peter, one of his disciples, had a question for Jesus. He was concerned about something that he he might have misunderstood. So he pulled Jesus aside and he shared with Jesus his burden. And Jesus took a moment to have a personal moment of encouragement and instruction to Simon Peter. Then from there, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at the crowd that was around them and began to teach them the importance of living by faith, no matter what the situation or the circumstance. And then in the midst of his ministry, the Bible tells us that James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, began to debate about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they began to ask of Jesus, Jesus, can we sit at your right? And can we sit at your left? So clear was this question and so clear was the debate that it brought division amongst all the disciples. And Jesus once again had to stop and give them instruction and correction. Mark chapter 10 ends with Jesus taking time for someone who had been largely forgotten, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, where Jesus took time for him, healed him, and gave him sight. Now, please understand, I'm not suggesting that all of these events happened on the same day in a 24-hour period, but they do provide for us the nature to show us all the demands upon Jesus. His life was full. His schedule was full. There were more needs around him than he could physically get to in the moment. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the gospel writers, take time in the midst of this busy season of life and ministry to show us the value and the priority that Jesus placed upon children. You may think your life is full and busy, but I believe God has several things regarding young people that we need to hear, we need to respond to and apply in our life today. Four things today about leading children to the Lord. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? Amen. Four things, number one, if we're gonna lead children to the Lord, we must recognize the dependence of children. We must recognize the dependence of children. When I say the word dependence, I'm literally meaning in the sense that they are dependent upon adults for various things. The Bible tells us here in verse 13, a very simple statement, and that is that they were bringing children to Jesus. Many times we hear this passage of scripture and we envision it from our context and from our culture. 
Maybe in our culture, we think of a family who's given birth to a baby and they, we think about what we would call in our churches today, baby dedication or family dedication. It's that moment when the parents bring the children before the church, recognizing this child's a gift from God and they publicly commit, we're gonna raise this child to love and to follow Jesus Christ. Well, that was happening even in Jesus's day. In Jesus's day, the people would take their children to the local Jewish rabbi who would then pray a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of blessing over that child. By the fact that these parents or these individuals were bringing the children to Jesus, the fact is they did so because they believed in who he was. They were hearing his teaching. They were seeing his miracles. They had a faith in who he was. So here they are in this moment recognizing Jesus is in the village. They don't want to miss their opportunity. So they urgently are bringing the children to the Lord Jesus Christ. But to think that these children were babies would be a great misunderstanding. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, the Greek word that's used for children describes children who were old enough to at least walk and talk. How old were they? We don't know. But they were clearly children who were able to walk and talk. They had some measure of independence, and yet it was the adults who were still bringing them to Jesus. In other words, we had to have the understanding that these were likely children of all ages. Here is Jesus in the village. Now is the opportunity. Now is the moment. Let's do everything we can to bring the children to Jesus so that they might be blessed. What I'm wanting to see is that children are dependent upon adults for their understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand the nature of their dependence. Even today, when you are legally registering a child, and at the, every year when we do our taxes, we have to clarify how many dependents we have in our house, which is now getting to be one less than what there's been. Y'all pray for me, okay? But the reality is we understand they're dependent. Uh, this past weekend, we've had our house full of individuals as we have celebrated a graduation in our house. And this is the first time since Heather and I got married in 2003 where both of our families were all together in the same place. And there's lots of nieces and nephews and, and I'm watching as the little ones, I'm having to walk through the house and make sure the outlets are covered and make sure that the sharp objects are put away. Why? Because when they're little, little, they depend on you for their physical protection. I'm making sure that we got some sort of healthy food option on the menu. Why? Because they're depending upon us for their nourishment. They can't do that themselves physically. Then they get a little bit older, a little independent. Then they need us still. They need us to speak into their life and to help them as they navigate relationships. Why? Because you put all those little ones together as they're getting independent. There are going to be 30 minutes of fun and excitement, but then there's going to be another 30 minutes where you're being a referee, right? Why? Because somebody got more candy than I got. And somebody held the ball longer than I got. And somebody got the bigger piece of cake than I got. And so there you are as a parent, helping them navigate and help kind of shepherding their little hearts through those relationships and those little challenges. And then they become teenagers. And teenagers need no help at all. They can figure it out all of life. They need no help at, at, at all. Or so they might think, right? My brother-in-law was just asking me yesterday as he was looking at his little ones under the age of four and he was looking at mine that are almost, I mean, they're basically all teenagers now. And he was like, does it get easier? <laughs> I just laughed and walked away. <laughs> oh, you're not having to make sure the outlets are on the walls, but the issues are much more complex, much more complex as you're dealing with heart issues and spirituals. The whole point is this, they need us. Adults, they, they need us. So please understand, the Bible says something interesting here. 
It says they were bringing children to him. In fact, the word here where it says they bringing was continual action, and they were continually bringing children to Jesus. What is interesting to note is this. Neither, none of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, ever tell us that it was the parents that were bringing the children to Jesus. It just says they brought them to Jesus. In fact, we understand in that culture that the community aspect of that culture was very different than it is today. We get the impression of a people who lived in community in a village who were so close together that literally in this moment, they're working together to bring the children to Jesus. Many of you remember Brother Tim Dettilis, a ministry partner and missionary to Haiti. He now lives here in America and one of his brothers does a lot of the actual, uh, you know, hands on the field, so to speak, feet, feet on the field's ministry in Haiti, but Brother Tim lives in Florida. But, but many years ago, he and I were in Haiti together and as we were in Haiti, I don't know why I asked this question, but, but I asked him this question. I said, what were your Christmases like in Haiti? When you grew up here, what was it like? He was like, oh man. He said, Christmases in Haiti were the best. He said, every, every year at Christmas, I miss the Christmases that we had in Haiti. And I was like, really? If you know anything about Haiti, Haiti's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and it's only two hours off the coast of Florida. It's crazy. But he said, man, it was, he said, we didn't have hardly anything, but the community involvement in Christmas is off the chain. I said, well, what happens? He said, well, first off, if you're lucky enough to get paint, you get paint and you paint the trunks of trees and telephone poles, whatever you got, you paint it and you decorate it for Christmas. And I was like, that is weird. You know, that's not, I said, that's what you look forward to? He said, no, no, no. He said, the best part is this. It's a Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, when the sun is setting, everybody in the village has been cooking. And when the sun begins to set, you don't sleep on Christmas Eve. You literally go from hut to hut, house to house. You visit with everyone in the entire village. And it is not until you have visited with everyone, you've eaten with everyone, you fellowship with everyone, that you go back home as a family around breakfast time. How unique is that, right? What he's describing is a village of people who cared for one another, loved one another, did life with one another, and as he confessed, it was a 24-hour play date with my friends. It was awesome, that's what I love. What we have here in this passage of scripture is a picture in a village of people who are taking responsibility for the well-being of their children, and they're recognizing, hey, Jesus is here. He's in the village. They don't want to miss him. And so, yes, parents were included, but they didn't have to be a parent. All the adults were being responsible for the young people as they're bringing them to Jesus so that he might bless them. There's a sense of urgency about it. We don't want to miss this. This is our opportunity can I just say to you loud and clear, we must today still understand the importance and the urgency of leading children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if they are not our children, God can work through us to impact them and to change their lives. But in order to impact them, we must get involved. We must invest our time and our lives for the glory of God and ultimately for their good. When I think about my own life, Many times when I stand before you to preach God's word, before I've done so, I take a moment to thank the Lord for his blessings in my life, one of which have been the number of people in my life who have loved me, prayed for me, and poured into me. When I think about those childhood years, my mind goes back to Sunday school teachers named Bob and Evelyn Seibert who taught me fourth and fifth and sixth grade every single Sunday in Sunday school. They were the ones who taught me God's word and modeled it for me in the most practical of ways. 
When I think about people that invested in my life, my mind goes back to my school, at my, my elementary age. And I remember fourth grade when Nancy Bender, sweet little Nancy Bender, she was, she was a really small lady, but man, she was big in faith. And every single morning, she prayed over her class by name. And I remember the fourth grade thinking, man, she sure prays a long time. <laughs> but I never forgot that she was praying for me. When I think back to my childhood, I think back to, to coaches that not only taught me games and taught me athletics, but they taught me how to love and follow and walk with Jesus. I think of Lamar Reeves and the investment he made in my life. And it brings me a sense of gratitude, but it also brings me a sense of accountability that God has been so gracious to me through these individuals. It reminds us today that we must be intentional to pour our lives into younger people for the glory of God and ultimately for their good. What do children need from us in the context of the church? Let me say three simple things they need. Children need a lot of things, but as followers of Jesus, three things. Number one, they need people with a sincere conviction about Christ. Many of us as Christians are the first to say we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. How many of Christians believe that? I imagine most of us do. Then let me ask you this question. Why are we doing so little to share him with the next generation? They need from us a conviction about Jesus Christ. By the way, many of us live and keep in our silence about the truth of the gospel, we are modeling for them that you can believe anything and still get to heaven. May we live a deep faith and conviction about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. Number, one, number two, they need people who are concerned for their soul. Let me just ask you directly, are you concerned for the soul and the eternity of young people? Thankfully, we live today in a society and certainly in a community where there are many people who care for the well-being of our children. I'm thankful for that. We live in a great part of the country. We really, really do. And I'm not just talking about the beautiful mountains. We, we have many, many wonderful people and programs here, and I'm thankful for that. Think of this for just a moment. Most of our children have teachers who are concerned about their intellect and knowledge, and we should be grateful. Most of our children have school counselors who are concerned about their social, emotional, relational, and even familial health, and we should be thankful. Most of our children have doctors and nurses who are concerned about their physical health and development, and we should be thankful. Most of our children have instructors who help them learn art such as music and dance and various forms of creativity. And again, we should be thankful. Many of our children have coaches who teach them various skills and abilities and, and disciplines and hard work and even help them in the context of learning teamwork and athleticism. And again, we should be grateful. And many of those roles are even filled by Christians. But let me ask you here today, Crossland Community Church. Yes, there are many who are concerned and looking out for our children, but... Here's the question. Who is concerned about their soul? Who is concerned about where they will spend eternity? Who's concerned that they will hear the gospel message and have an opportunity to repent of their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who's concerned about sharing the truth of the gospel? Who's concerned about their souls being saved and their lives being changed? Many Christians today miss opportunities to serve children and lead the next generation and pointing them to Jesus because we have a very short-sighted perspective. We see only the obligation. We see the time commitment. We see the great inconvenience. We see the fact that maybe we're afraid of failure or of our inability to have all the answers to the questions they might ask. 
But may God give us a glimpse of eternity and of the souls that stand in the balance. And God help us to be more concerned about their relationship with Jesus than we are their GPA, their athletic ability, or their ability to twirl in ballet. I'm not faulting any of those things. I'm thankful for sports. I'm thankful for dance. I'm thankful for the arts. And I want my children to do well. But what does it really profit them if they are the best thing since sliced bread, but don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? The reality is God calls us in that context. So they need people who are concerned for their soul. And thirdly, they need people who care enough to act. This is old pastor. I care. I care about these things. Please understand. The truth about how much we care is not seen in what we profess, but in what we practice. The truth about our convictions and concerns is not seen in our claims, but ultimately in our conduct. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, how do they hear? They hear as you and I share the truth of Jesus and model what a life lived for Jesus looks like. We must make sure that we understand that. Number two, we must refuse to deny children. First thing's loud and clear, isn't it? We must recognize the dependence, upon, dependence of children. They are dependent upon us to point them to Jesus. But number two, we must refuse to deny children. Now, please don't hear this today and think that I'm saying you can never say no to a child. There are times we need to say no to a child. When my nephew came up to me yesterday for the 10th time and said, Uncle Mac, can I have this piece of candy? You know what I said? Don't let your mama see it. That's what I said, right? <laughs> That's not what I said. I, I, got, I got down and said, buddy, I love you. No, you can't have this one. He looked at me like I had just, you know, done something bad, but he'd already had nine pieces. The point is, there are times you, as a good parent or uncle, you, you gotta say no. But when I refer to denying, I'm referencing the way the disciples viewed and treated Jesus, or treated the, the parents and the, and the adults that were bringing the children to Jesus. Think of this for just a moment. Jesus is welcoming to all. He desires for all to come to know him. In fact, when you read through the gospel accounts, there are many people who were neglected by society, ostracized and forgotten and forsaken, and not only did Jesus accept them, on many occasions, he went out of his way intentionally to find them and to minister to them. These adults in this community, They've been watching Jesus. They've seen his care and compassion and concern. So here they are bringing their children, anticipating that he's gonna welcome the children just as he'd been welcoming everybody else. Much to their surprise, they find something very interesting. As soon as they show up, guess what happens? The disciples, the Bible says, began rebuking them. What in the world? The word for rebuke here literally means to reprimand to criticize and to scold. Here, I mean, what greater, greater thing? Hey, we want to bring these children to be blessed by Jesus. And as soon as they arrive, the disciples are saying, you can't do this. What are you doing? These are just little people. But Jesus needs to spend more time doing something else more important. You can kind of understand their perspective for a moment. They thought Jesus was going to set up this huge kingdom where he ruled and reigned with authority on the earth. What could little children possibly have to do with such an important kingdom? See, in this moment, they were so jaded by their own perspective, they actually thought they were doing Jesus a service. 
Jesus, we're, we're protecting you. We're protecting your time. We're protecting your interests. We're protecting your priorities. Jesus, we're protecting you from such insignificant, unimportant matters and people. In other words, by their actions, they were denying these little ones from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds shocking and surprising, but it causes me to pause for just a moment and ask a question of myself. Is there anything in my life that's pointing others away from Jesus? Is there anything in my attitude and my actions, is there anything in my disposition, is there anything in my life that's literally offending others and providing a hindrance from others coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, as, as their Lord and Savior? Notice what happens when Jesus sees this. The Bible says that Jesus looks in verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. The word that's used here literally means to feel pain or in other translations, to feel grief. When Jesus saw this rejection and this denial, this dismissal of those who otherwise were coming to be blessed, the Bible's telling us that Jesus was grieved in his heart. He was grieved. By the way, when you and I have things in our life that are turning people away from Jesus, when you and I have things in our life that are a stumbling block to younger ones who are following us, I think in the same way, he's indignant towards those things. Why was he indignant? I think he was indignant first because his closest followers, the disciples, simply were not getting it. Already in the Gospel of Mark, God has shown us his care and concern for children. Think of this for just a moment. Mark chapter five, verse 41, Jesus has already raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. She was a child. Mark chapter seven, verses 29 through 30, the Bible tells us that there was a Syrophoenician woman. Her daughter had a demon and Jesus showed such care for her that he took time for her. He delivered her from the demon. Mark chapter nine, verse 25 through 26, there was another boy who was possessed by a demonic spirit. Once again, Jesus cared. He took time in the midst of everything that's going on. He delivered that boy. But listen to this statement in Mark chapter nine, verses 36 through 37. Listen to this illustration that Jesus gives. Taking a child, Jesus set the child before them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever, what's the next word? Receives one child like this in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Whoever receives this child in my name actually receives me, just as he who receives me, the child of God, receives the Father. He has given them a visual illustration of his care, his concern, his compassion for these children. And yet one chapter later in Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells the disciples, say, no, get rid of them. They're not as important. Move along, move along, people. Jesus has bigger things to do. The reality is Jesus was indignant because they were discouraging the children from coming to him. Please understand, if Jesus would care for the children who were disrespected by the culture and denied by his own disciples, then surely there is nobody and no child that is insignificant to him. Number three, we must receive the directions of the Lord concerning children. If you're still with me, would you say, all right. So what does Jesus do? Jesus gives directions and instructions for how they and how we are to respond to and care for children. Listen to the statement in verse 14. Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. 
Positive command, allow them to come to me. Negative command, do not hinder them. It is clear in scripture that God desires all people to come to him, including children. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says this, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all, somebody say all, all to come to repentance. It doesn't matter your age, your life stage, your place of development. It doesn't matter your race, your background, your creed. He desires that all of us would come to him. Matthew chapter 21, it's interesting to note that when Jesus goes to the temple that day and he finds that the people have made the temple about their own selfish and sinful business, Jesus cleans house. And when he rebukes them for what they're doing, immediately the Bible says after that, he invited in the blind and the lame and the outcast, the diseased, the forsaken people of society. He invited them all in. But not only that, after that, it was then that the children were welcomed into the temple, where the children sang praises to the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you is this. It wasn't until after Jesus restored the purpose of the temple that the children were welcomed back in for the purpose of glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus welcomed and wanted all, including children, to come to him. So with that, there's two words of instruction or direction, so to speak. Number one, we should encourage them to come to him. Parents, grandparents, not parents yet, children are not in your home, we have a calling from God to encourage young people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, encourage them to come to him. When Jesus says, permit them to come to me, this word for allowance, so to speak, it is not merely an allowance of activity, but an actual call to action to join him in assisting others in coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, God loves them. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus has made a way for all to be saved. He invites all to come to repentance. But that means for us a responsibility, and that responsibility largely is that we would encourage them, we would instruct them, and share with them the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Please understand, this should be a powerful motivation for us to get out of the bleachers off of the sidelines and into the playing field of being intentional about pouring into young people for the glory of God. Lifeway came out, check that for just a moment, 2019, just before the pandemic hit. Lifeway came out with a statistic where they had interviewed thousands and thousands of people. And here's what they found out. Listen to this statement. 83%, 83% of the people who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior accept him between the ages of four and 14 years old. Four and 14 years old. So dramatic is that reality that many missionaries today are describing not only the 1040 window where over 2 billion people still today have never heard the name of Jesus, but many missionaries and strategists are describing what they call the 414 window. It is the window of opportunity with children between the ages of four and 14 years old. And please understand, I'm not saying that you can't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in college. Many people do and many people have here and we praise God for it. I'm not saying you can't be, you could be 99 years old. If God has given you a clear mind, he's given you conviction that you need to be saved and you call upon Jesus, it doesn't matter your age or life stage, you can call upon Jesus and be saved. But the greater likelihood is that happening between the ages of four and 14 years old. That suggests for us a matter of urgency. But let me take it another step further. 
Many people today in the church lament the fact that when children maybe have grown up in church, made a profession of faith, by the time they reach their college years, there's a large number who seem to leave the church or even abandon their faith. Many who go through the transition of college in a new place, new environments, they're out of the old habits and maybe their faith is being challenged by some of the things that they're hearing in schools. But listen to this statement. Did you know statistically today, a child who goes to college, student, forgive me, young people, is eight times more likely to stay faithful in their relationship with God and faithful in involvement in a local church if through the course of their childhood and high school years, they have at least five solid relationships in the church. If a child has five solid relationships of people who love them or pouring into them, who are simply praying for them and encouraging them, they are eight times more likely when they go to college to be faithful in their faith and faithful even in the context of the local church. Let let me illustrate that practically. I I don't know what God's gonna do in the future, but last Sunday night, many of us were here for a night of worship that was hosted by our student ministry. And we had a group of seniors that were up here giving testimonies of what God's been doing in their life in their high school years. And, And as many of our seniors spoke, please understand, it wasn't staged. I had no idea what they were gonna say. I knew what Pastor Marty was going to ask, but you hand a microphone to a teenager, flip a coin to hope for the bet. You don't know what's gonna be said. You just don't know, right? Every single one of our students, without coaching, training, I mean, just as they're just sharing what God's done in their life, every single one of them spoke not about the music, not about the amount of pizza they ate in the course of their high school career here, not about the awesome preacher on Sunday mornings. They didn't talk about that. You know what they talked about? Every single one of them talked about the volunteers, the youth leaders who came alongside of them, mentored them, prayed for them, showed up, showed up, showed up at a game or two, and who loved them through this time in their life. Can I, can I just for, for, forget that I'm a pastor for just a moment? Can I just tell you as a parent, that blesses my soul. Because I realize I am not the only shepherd in their life. I am not the only influencer in their life. But in this case with my son especially, there are other godly men who throughout the course of his high school career, they've been pouring into him. They've been loving on him. He's been faithful to be there and they've been faithful to pour in. Same is happening with my daughter with some of the female leaders and so forth. My point is simply this. Maybe there's a few young people in our church that are mature enough and bold enough that they can come to us as adults and say, listen, I really need your care and your instruction. Will you please mentor me? Maybe there's a few. But by far and large, as adults, can I just be blunt about it? We need to get off of the bench and get onto the field and start intentionally investing in the next generation for the glory of God. How dare we as adults lament the future of the church when our own inaction is predicting the future of the church? Encourage them to come to him and secondly, examine your actions towards them. Jesus said this, do not hinder them. Man, I could park there a whole lot longer, but again, it causes us to pause. Is there anything in my action, anything in my attitude 
anything in my apathy that is hindering and preventing others and young people from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us by our absence and not being involved, many of us by our apathy, our indifference towards young people, perhaps even by our anger or our harmful actions, there are many ways that we might hinder them, but we need to pause and examine, are we hindering others, young people, from coming to the Lord? Finally, we must respond to the demand of the Lord to be childlike. You know, (laughs) to me it is so powerful that the passage of scripture begins with the community largely bringing these children to Jesus. Then we see the disciples rebuking them. No, 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 they're not important enough. Move along, move along. And then Jesus not only rebukes the disciples, not only gives instruction regarding the children, but then he looks at the children and uses the children as an example for the disciples to humble themselves and follow. Listen to this statement. Do not hinder them, verse 14. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. (laughs) It's important for us to recognize what Jesus is saying is this. If you wanna be in heaven, You want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Not only must you stop rejecting children, seeing them as less than, you've got to become like one. (laughs) That's interesting, right? Now, to be clear, Jesus is not calling them to be childish. To be childish means to be juvenile and immature. I think every single man probably here today struggles a moment or two with being childish, perhaps. Ladies, that's a good place to say amen, by the way. (laughs) But he's calling us to be childlike. What is he calling us to? There's a lot of things about children that are really powerful and unique. Children are are very receptive to to truth and to God's word. Children don't debate God's word. They they don't. They they receive it. They they take it for what it says in very simplistic terms and ways. I don't know if a child can be saved. If a child understands that they're a sinner and a child understands that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave and they repent of their sins, they receive it in very simple terms without dismissing it or debating it. Children have very tender hearts to the truth. Children also largely realize their limitations, that they know they're dependent upon others. So it's easy for them to look to God and say, we depend upon you, Jesus, for our salvation. We as adults, we're, we're, we're too smart. Our gifts, our abilities, our wealth, our power. We can do a lot of things on our own, but I want to remind you, we can do nothing of eternal significance apart from Jesus Christ. But I think the primary way that Jesus is saying you've got to be like a child, specifically, is in our faith. Children hear the truth. They don't dismiss it. They don't make excuses. They don't debate it. And they don't delay. They respond in faith. To me, it's a powerful reminder that even as adults, it doesn't matter how old we are, how smart we are, how wealthy we are, how educated, it doesn't matter any of those things. If we're to be in right relationship with God, we have to come with the same humility, the same faith as a child. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, children live by faith. By faith, they accept their lot, trusting others to care for them and see them through. We too must enter God's kingdom by faith like little children, 
helpless, unable to save ourselves, yet totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God. I don't know about you, but I love this illustration of these individuals bringing these children to Jesus. And what happens when they finally get there? The Bible tells us in verse 16, a very simple statement. Jesus took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. In other words, he didn't reject them. He didn't turn them away. He took time to care for them, to welcome them. And in the same way, all who come to Jesus by faith, like that of a child, in the same way, Jesus welcomes and receives. He said it this way in John chapter six, all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You know, as we close this message, I think there's two simple questions to really consider. The first is this, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You don't receive Jesus by a bunch of good works, going to church, trying to clean up your life and do enough good to cancel out the bad. You receive Jesus simply by faith, by trusting in him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've never made that step today, I hope and pray that you will as you put your faith in Jesus. But secondly, if you've been saved, you know by God's grace you've been forgiven of your sins. Here's my question. What are you doing to influence, to impact, and to invest in young people for the glory of God? Many of us have walked with Jesus for so long. He's been so good and gracious to us. He's given us opportunities. He's given us wisdom. He's given us insight. But it was never merely so that spiritually we'd be fat and happy. It was given so that for his glory, we would invest in others. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me and say, God has given so much in my life and none of it's been deserved. A Christian to whom much is given, much is indeed required. Let's be faithful. Let's be obedient and live our lives and give our lives for his glory and for the good of others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. Father, I pray for those today who aren't certain of their salvation that they would realize it. it is so simple. Lord, we are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus, you lived a sinless life. You died on the cross for our sins and rose again, proving that you are the savior of the world. And I pray if there's anyone that does not know you personally today in this moment, they would call upon you to save them. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd give us a, a holy conviction to surrender our lives completely to you. May we see no one, certainly no young person, as a burden or as a bother. But may we realize the blessing that we have to pour into them, to point them to you. Lord, I thank you for the many people who have poured into my life and I pray that every single one of us realize your blessings and in those blessings will turn around and be a blessing to others. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be your hands and your feet. I pray in Jesus' name. 
thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.